I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower, and we've got a lot to talk about. UConn women's basketball heading to the Sweet 16 to play Iowa, which means the matchup we've all been waiting for, the one that we talked about before the tournament even started, the one that people have been clamoring for all season long, maybe one of the most anticipated matchups of the season in recent memory for UConn women's basketball even. It's going to be UConn versus Iowa's Monica Cezano. Going to be a real tough test for UConn in the post. I mean, that's just going to be such a great matchup. I don't really know anyone else on Iowa that could potentially have any storylines for this game. So very exciting to finally get this matchup after so much hype all season long. Everyone's saying that UConn's front court just couldn't be really tested until they faced Monica Cezano. So it's finally here. We've gotten it. (laughs) I can't imagine what else we'd be talking about with that Iowa game. (laughs) Yeah, obviously I'm joking. It's going to be Paige Beckers versus Caitlin Clark. That storyline, I assure you, is going to be beaten into the ground, resurrected, and buried six feet deeper And we're happy to join in on that. We're going to talk a lot about Iowa and Caitlin Clark. But first, we got to get through the first two games of the NCAA tournament for UConn. They open against number 16 High Point, a kind of weird win that still ended up 102 to 59. Again, just kind of a bizarre game. I I mean, maybe it's just because it happened in the bubble. It was a first NCAA tournament game. Gina wasn't on the sidelines. It was their first game in over two weeks. Honestly, if anything, it kind of felt similar to UConn's first two Big East tournament games where they didn't shoot the ball a whole lot or they didn't shoot very well from the outside. They mostly just focused on getting the ball inside, pounding the paint, taking advantage of their significant height differential, and it worked pretty well. They just I, High Point had absolutely no answers for either Olivia Nelson Adota or Aaliyah Edwards. Aaliyah Edwards had a double-double. We've been doing pregame shows before each game, on YouTube and Twitter. Sorry, we're hoping to get those on Facebook half an hour before each game. On that, we talked about how Aaliyah Edwards just absolutely bullied High Point. Like, it's just not even fair that you have someone like Aaliyah Edwards who's so strong and so big against a High Point team that's really just made up of a bunch of guards. So it was just a very dominant inside performance by UConn and just really good to see those forwards, Olivia Nelson, Adota, and Aaliyah Edwards just continue to assert their dominance over smaller, weaker opponents. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, Aaliyah Edwards, it's hard to oversell how good she was in that game. Eight of 10 for the floor. She had 12 rebounds with six of them were offensive. So kind of cleaned up for the shots that you kind of missed as well. And then Olivia Nelson Dota scores 22 points her first 20 point game since back in December. So 
the two of them just really excelled inside, which I think is exactly what you want to see. Even when the opponent is, you know, smaller, they can obviously easily have their way, but it, it sets them up well going forward to see that happen against teams that aren't going to challenge them because if they can't do it against a team that's not going to challenge them, they're not going to do it against a team with size. So, um, and I think I mean, we saw that in the Syracuse game, not to jump ahead, that they were able to get it done there too, but a really good game from the two in the front court. And then, of course, Paige Beckers as well. Yeah, I think High Point must have tuned into UConn, Maryland on the men's side in the NCAA tournament and saw that Maryland just completely disregarded rebounding entirely and still won the game. So it seemed like High Point took a very similar approach because High Point would take a shot and not only would like none of the High Point players like usually even be like attempting to go for the rebound, they would like turn around the second the ball left someone's hand and be in like a dead sprint the other way down the court. And then even when they were trying to rebound, Aaliyah Edwards just would have none of it. There was just one replay that they showed where I think there were like three different high point players, like directly trying to box out Edwards. There was like a fourth kind of in the vicinity looking for one of the long rebounds. And Aaliyah Edwards just kind of pushed all three out of the way, jumped over them, grabbed the rebound. And then I think finished through contact, got a foul and got the end one. It was just like, all right, like, okay, we get it. We get it. Like she was playing against children almost. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if she was inside there, there was no way that they were getting the rebound anyway. But I do think part of that rebounding strategy, right, is a a testament to how lethal UConn is in transition, especially because they take a lot of threes. So it might be a long rebound. They're just turning around and making sure that they get back to the other end of the floor and get their defense set before UConn, you know, grabs the rebound and is already back there before them. Right. I mean, a very, very dominant performance inside. And I feel like that's kind of a new development for this team, right? Like, in the Big East tournament, we saw it, but I don't know how much throughout the regular season, UConn was just completely dominating down low with such a huge margin of advantage in points in the paint, in rebounds, in just total layups to, or layups to total shots. And it wasn't just Aaliyah Edwards and Olivia Nelson. It was kind of a combined effort. So it just seems like UConn's entire front court is just getting more confident with each game that passes. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's really key as we get later into this tournament, right? Um, I'm jumping way ahead, but we all are like looking ahead to that potential Elite Eight matchup with Baylor. And that's obviously going to be the huge storyline there. And it's, I think the front court matchup is probably what determines if UConn makes the final four. So to see them early on playing the best basketball of the season, I think is just a really, really positive sign for the Huskies. Someone else who's playing their best basketball, Paige Beckers, I think I mentioned it, but set a freshman record for most points in the first round of the NCAA tournament, 24 points. And I think just what we've seen from Paige Beckers through the first two games of the NCAA tournament, which is most impressive to me, is it really doesn't look like she's trying that hard out there. Like she can just go long stretches where she doesn't take a whole lot of shots. She doesn't necessarily have a huge impact on the way the things go. And then all of a sudden she can just flip a switch and make every single shot. And before you even know it, she's up to 15 points, 20 points, 25 points, some games. It's just, she can score so quickly over such a 
short period of time that when UConn gets into these better games, not, I, I still don't really feel like Iowa is going to be that close of a game to see it, but Baylor, and if they get past Baylor, someone in the final four, or even national championship game, if you can get a locked in Paige Beckers that's shooting throughout the game and is making those shots, just, I, I don't really know how UConn can lose, especially with the way everyone else went around her is playing. I think just the fact that Paige doesn't need to do a whole lot shows you how well the rest of the supporting cast is doing. Exactly, because I think we saw it earlier in the season, right, where she needed to score 30 and she needed those 30 points for UConn to win. I don't think we're looking at a UConn team where that's the situation anymore. Everyone else has really stepped up. They're playing, everyone's kind of playing their best basketball of the season. So there's a lot of op- offensive options on the floor for UConn. So, I mean, Paige is still scoring 20, 25 points, but it feels like a quieter 20 to 25 points, if that makes sense, just because everyone else is stepping up too and it's not, you know, fully the Paige Becker show. Right, absolutely. I mean, I honestly, if I didn't have the box score in front of me and you were just watching some dead feet of the game where there's no announcers or no stats popping up on the screen, like, I probably would have guessed that she scored somewhere in between like 10, 15 points in both these first two games. I think like a quiet 25 is a really good way to put it. And it's really just a testament to how consistent she is and how good she's been this season that not just a freshman scoring 25 points, but anyone scoring 25 points. That's such a, that's a really strong mark to get to even just 20 points is a very good game for anyone. And the fact that we're just kind of brushing these games off, like, Oh yeah, she only had 20 points, only had 25. Wasn't that spectacular. It's just a tribute to how incredibly good she's been this season. Exactly. Yeah. Like not to discredit her game at all. Cause she's still been fantastic, but I think she's just been so good all season long that, you know, when she just puts up the 20, the 25 that you come needs here, it seems like kind of just, she's flying under the radar a little bit for a player of her caliber, which is, more than anything because the rest of the team has stepped up and the pieces she has around her are, are doing more. But I think she's still playing really well and when UConn gets to a game where they need her to kind of be not as quiet, not the 25 is quiet, but when they need her to you know be the star of the show, she's, she's going to be ready to do that too. I don't mean to go off on too far of a tangent, but it's going to be really interesting to see how these next couple of years play out where it's not just going to be Paige having to carry the load like she had to a lot of the season, but Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson, Adota are going to be a year older. Same with, I mean, everyone on the team is going to be a year older. The freshmen are going to be better. Then you're also bringing in such a strong class next year where you're going to have AZ Fudd, Caroline Ducharm, more players that can score the ball, more players that are going to get touches. It'll be interesting just to see how she I guess grows with that, how her numbers change, because like you said, she's not going to need 30 every night and she's still such a pass first player. I mean, she had the great quote after the high point game that she knew she didn't take a whole lot of shots in the first quarter and she could just hear Gino yelling at her from his couch. And then Gino had a quote in a story. Yeah. I was yelling at her on my couch. Of course she needs to shoot more. So she's obviously still such a pass first player that Maybe these next few years, she's going to be afforded that ability to be passing first because UConn isn't needed or going to take on a whole bunch of the scoring load. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how these next few years pan out with how much talent is going to be around her, especially considering she already has a pretty good team around her this year. 
Yeah, I agree. I think with the talent they're bringing in, they're not going to be just at a place where they don't need her to score 30 points. They won't necessarily need her to score 20 on most nights. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how her, her game evolves and, you know, do her assist numbers maybe get a lot higher and she does a lot of other things, but she's not scoring 20 points a game because you're going to have four other players on the court that are also capable of scoring 20 points a game. Or UConn, or Paige is scoring 20 points a game and UConn is just averaging like 100 points a game. Yeah. Or something like that. It's like Stewie's like <laughs> later seasons where she just like spends the whole fourth quarter on the bench and I'm sure lets Gino get an earful for it. But <laughs> Well, I was just thinking about that. I think literally yesterday while watching the game, I like when Paige checked out and they just showed her on the sideline, I was thinking about that. Like Gino's talked about how much of a pain Paige is when he has to sub her out because she's just constantly badgering him to play more. And like, I don't, maybe Stewie was the same way and he just told her to deal with it at a certain point or like maybe like, <laughs> obviously I'm not going to say something negative about Brianna Stewart because like she's incredible, but maybe she just didn't badger him for playing time the way that Paige does. So I'm curious that maybe even if they are just, bludgeoning teams every single game like they will be next season where they're up 30 40 50 60 100 points by the end of the third quarter is he really gonna put her on the bench and have to deal with her constantly telling him that she's only playing 30 points a game and how she played 36 minutes or she only plays 30 minutes a game and she was playing 36 as a freshman and because of that he's just gonna leave her out for more minutes to get higher stats than Brianna Stewart ever did. It's just going to be a very interesting dynamic with how loaded their roster is. And we're going to talk about it later, later, the Ayanna Patterson commitment, but they just, they have so many unbelievable players coming in. Even if you take away Paige and AZ, they have so many talented players coming through that the initial reaction by some people is, oh, well, people are going to transfer. Like, okay, tell me who from this freshman class right now is going to transfer because every single one of them looks like they belong at UConn or at least look like they could belong at UConn in the case of like PS. So it's just going to be very interesting to watch how things unfold. Yeah, I agree. Not to continue on the tangent for too long, but I mean, the talent they have coming in, you would be talking about kind of the best recruiting, some of the best recruiting classes in the country, how good UConn was going to be if you didn't have Paige and AZ. And then you add two of the most talked about, highest regarded recruits in, I don't know, since Stewie, since Asia, like in recent memory. So it's just kind of insane that, I mean, if you could take basically their classes without Paige and AZ or just have Paige and AZ. And either way, you'd be talking about how good UConn's recruiting classes are. And now you have those two together. It's kind of just insane. It's going to be fun times ahead. Very fun times ahead. It's nice that like next year, whenever, well, actually, how long out can you schedule a flight? It's only like nine or 12 months, right? Yeah, these are like 12 months. <laughs> we should probably just go ahead and book those Minneapolis flights now. Yeah, I was going to say, like, with how cheap, or I don't know if the flights are still really cheap to places like they were earlier in the pandemic, but, like, honestly, it, like, now would be a great time to book something like that because they're absolutely getting to the Final Four next year. Like, I I don't want to know what kind of disaster would need to strike for that not to happen. They're, they're getting to the Final Four next year. Like, I feel like hotels got to be really cheap right now. And plane tickets got to be really cheap. I think I'm going to go look that up after the show because <laughs> that's how confident I feel about it. it they're going to be just very, very good. So 
yeah, book those flights to Minneapolis and all the places beyond. Is it Minneapolis and then Tampa? Not to go down this road again, but <laughs> is it Tampa again that quickly? No, I think it's it's Cincinnati the year after, I believe. Oh, so. Cleveland. Or Cleveland, yeah. Cleveland, not Cincinnati. Wait, so, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, I think it's Minneapolis, Dallas, Cleveland. Oh, maybe that's what it is. I keep forgetting. Okay. But we've got, I think, two more before we have Tampa, at least. <laughs> Praise. Fingers crossed that something changes there, but yeah, so to get a little more on track, back to the NCAA tournament, there was one major downside that came out of that high point game, and it's Nika Mule's injury. She sprained her ankle. That's the word from the team. Apparently, there was an x-ray center in the Alamo Dome so that they, I mean, we didn't get confirmation that it got x-rayed, but it sounded like that was going to be the case. And also, apparently, Janelle Francisco, the team's trainer, was able to move Mule's ankle left and right, which shows there wasn't a break. It's a different ankle than she sprained in the Big East tournament. And she was marked as questionable going into the Syracuse game. She didn't practice on Saturday, Monday, Monday, Monday. I really have a strong grip on time right now. She didn't practice on Monday, which, like, when that came out, I wasn't very surprised because there was no point for her to even practice on Monday. But then it comes out on Tuesday that she isn't going to play. She didn't suit up against Syracuse. I found that very surprising, and I don't want to say I'm hitting the panic button, but it's definitely mildly concerning that pretty much everything we've ever heard about Nika is that She's going to play no matter what. And if she's not going to play, that's how you know it's serious. So maybe it was just precautionary, but I I don't have a bad feeling about it, but it definitely wasn't good that she didn't play against Syracuse. Yeah, I agree. Definitely not good that she didn't play against Syracuse. I think I felt a little better after hearing CD on the press conference after the Syracuse game. Uh, she said it's not like an official statement or anything, but that they were hopeful that she was going to play on Saturday. She didn't like seem negative about it at least. So I think there's, there's some hope that she's going to be back for the sweet 16 and, you know, maybe she almost could have gone and they just decided to, you know, not risk it with not needing her clearly last night. I mean, they won by what close to 40 points against Syracuse. So they did not need Nika Mule to win that game. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. I think, UConn's going to want her back for the, the regional rounds. So hopefully what CD said is true and that they're hopeful is a sign that there's a chance she's going to be back. But I agree. The fact that everything that we've heard about Nika and the way her injury was treated at the Big East tournament and that being like, if she doesn't play, then it's serious. It doesn't bode well that she didn't play against Syracuse. Right. Also just another positive sign for it is that I think we've seen pretty clearly throughout the year. I mean, we talked about it a couple episodes ago where Nika Mule just doesn't hide her emotions very well. You Like what you see is, it seems like at least from our perspective on the outside, it could be different if you actually know Nika, but at least from what I've seen, it seems like what you see is what you get for Nika. Obviously she's been very emotional when she's gotten injured, understandably, but I think the fact that she seemed pretty upbeat and seemed to be in a pretty happy mood even though she wasn't playing kind of makes me feel like it's nothing too serious because you know, even if she finds out, like I'm not by any means saying this, I'm just speculating, but like if she found out that like it was broken and she was done, I maybe she would have been able to hide it well and just kind of put on a good face for the game. But I feel like it would have been a different demeanor. She just seemed very upbeat on the bench. So I, I feel pretty good that she'll probably go against Iowa just 
considering you've got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday that she can take off before Saturday's game. So that's a pretty long time to get treatment, rest up, get it better, especially since it kind of like if she was questionable going into the Syracuse game, that means there was a chance she was going to play. So I have a hard time seeing her being questionable, not playing and then continuing to be questionable and then not playing again, uh, just personally. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. They waited till kind of right before the game. It was maybe an hour before the game to say that she was out against Syracuse. And so if she was kind of really questionable up to that last minute, that kind of a sign that maybe it was, they were hoping that she would be ready to go and it wasn't quite there. But I think with a few extra days, hopefully that means by, by Saturday, she'll be good to go. Even if she's on limited minutes, I think, you know, UConn doesn't need a full 40 from her by any means against Iowa. So I think that's hopefully... We'll see her at least somewhat in action on Saturday. Well, to move on to the Syracuse game, it was kind of weird. Like, high point, at least if you go by her hoop stats ratings, I mean, you can correct me, Megan. I don't know how accurate those would be this season just because there hasn't been a whole lot of non-conference play. But her hoop stats rating pretty much had both high point and Syracuse as teams rated very similar to, like, Villanova in the Big East. So I wasn't expecting the Syracuse game to be particularly close either after what we saw against high point, but it was interesting that Syracuse's zone gave UConn some trouble early in the game. Also, what is with Syracuse and having to run a two, three zone? Like <laughs> I understand. I thought that was just like a Bayheim thing, but why does their women's team also need to do it? It's just such a dumb defense to run. I, it drives me insane whenever teams are in a 2-3 defense. Like, can, Are you just admitting that you can't coach at, like players to actually play defense? Are you admitting that you don't recruit well enough to get players that can play good defense? Like, 2-3 <laughs> defense is just the ultimate, like, I don't have any faith in my players to execute or anything like that. Like, if you always play a 2-3 defense, you completely neutralize having a potential shutdown defender. Like, can you imagine if UConn had Kia Nurse and Gabby Williams and decided to play a 2-3 defense? Like, you would just be taking your two best defensive players and, like, putting them in a position where they would have significantly less of an impact. I just really hate 2-3 zones. Yeah, it's a, it's a choice for sure. But it did give some UConn a little bit of trouble, at least, in that the first half. Well, also, I would just like to add, I say this as someone who spent one year coaching, I think it was middle schoolers, while I was in high school, a basketball team. And let me tell you, we played 2-3 zone every single game because I had not a goddamn clue what I was doing. <laughs> And we weren't terrible. We held on with a two, three zone. But if you're a college basketball coach, especially someone like Jim Beheim, who has been around for, I don't know, like 50 years, the dude's ancient. <laughs> Come on, learn how to be, learn how to coach defense, play a real defense. But yeah, UConn did have trouble with it initially. And I think it was a really good thing for them because you're going to see a lot of different things in the NCAA tournament. And I think it's a lot better that they see it against a team like Syracuse, who isn't necessarily maybe super talented, doesn't have the firepower of a Baylor or a Texas A&M or anyone else that they might meet later on. They do at least provide some tough matchup issues where you've got a six, seven player down low that you need to deal with, with Olivia Nelson, Adota and Aliyah Edwards. They weren't a terrible team. So it was good experience for you kind of have to go up against it, know how to attack it. And also then, figure out how to beat it because 
they struggled with it early, but then they came out of halftime and they just absolutely ripped it apart. I couldn't believe that Syracuse wasn't changing out of a zone. Well, I mean, look, if you're going to commit to a bad defense, might as well go down with the ship. <laughs> I honestly have to respect that to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like you said, UConn came out on that second half and uh, Syracuse just kind of collapsed. I, I don't know what the exact point total was, but it feels it felt like Syracuse basically scored like two points in that third quarter and UConn scored like 30. Um, that's an exaggeration, but that's, that's kind of how it felt like watching it. Um, and yeah, they were just able to really... I think they got shook it up by it in the first half. It was something different. Clearly came out of the locker room with a new plan of attack and made Syracuse pay. Also shout out to Chris Daly. Like not only like 12 and 0 as a head coach, but she absolutely made some adjustments at halftime. And like, well, like obviously she's a great coach, but I just thought it was cool to see that like Chris Daly as a head coach has this one problem, goes in the locker room and comes up with or gets her team to go out and execute a very good second half game plan to just rip apart Syracuse's zone. It was like just the fact that it was such a clear cut difference between that first and second half. I mean, even though they did kind of go on a run at the end of that first half, most of that came off of transition or turnovers. They still weren't really breaking down the zone super well was definitely a clear dividing line after halftime that they the switch kind of flipped and they were moving around a lot more. They were passing better. They were getting into the open lanes and they were just really kind of taking advantage of the zone. Yeah, exactly. And I think that translated to, they had so much more success in the paint in the second half too. In the first half, it felt like, you know, Becker's mid-range game was going decently and things like that, but it felt like Camilla Cardoso was winning the battle in the paint in the first half. And then in the second half, it really felt like Olivia Nelson and Dota and Ali Edwards ran away with that battle. I think by the end of the game, UConn was basically close to points in the paint as the total Syracuse points. In that second half, a lot of it, well, actually the whole game, but Ali Edwards, Olivia Nelson and Dota, and then Aubrey Griffin in the front court as well were just incredibly efficient. Griffin and Edwards didn't miss a single shot, and Nelson and Dota was 7 for 11, so just like really were able to get in the lane and get the type of looks they were looking for. I don't understand why Aubrey Griffin's not playing more. Yeah. She's been like very, very good in limited minutes over her two games. So against Syracuse, she played only 12 minutes, which is five fewer than Anna Makarot. And I don't mean that as like a knock on Anna Makarot because I do like her game, but like Aubrey Griffin objectively provided more. She had nine points to Makarot's three. She had one rebound to Makarot's two. Neither of them had an assist. So like very similar stat lines. I don't understand why she's not playing more. She also didn't play that much against high point either. I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but I want to say she had like 9.7 rebounds in nine minutes. It was, she's just been extremely efficient in both games in the NCAA tournament and just doesn't really seem to be getting the minutes. I don't understand why, like, is there just something we're missing that, we haven't been told about, or is it just what Gino's kind of said all season long where she's inconsistent in some minutes, like she'll play 12 minutes and look incredible. But if she played 15 minutes, she would have three minutes where she looked horrible. I don't know what it is, but it's just confusing considering how well she's played. Agreed. I thought in both games when she came out on the floor, she looked great. She you know, did all the things that UConn needed her to do. But like you said, she didn't play a ton of minutes. So I think 13 against high point and then 12 yesterday. So not not a lot of minutes, which is, I think, interesting, especially because 
you know, maybe like you said, they think that, you know, she's going to be good for her 12 minutes or whatever, and then play three really bad minutes, but maybe give her the time in these games too, and see if that happens, because I could see them getting into situations in later games where they want to get 15 or 20 minutes or more from her because of the things she does on the floor, the way she disrupts on defense and, you know, just attacks the glass and consistently it's kind of a spark for this UConn team she's the type of person that you know when UConn struggles she tends to come in and make a difference right and I'm looking through the splits now and she played one minute in the third quarter which I mean like you can't argue with that too much just because Olivia Nelson Adota was on fire in that quarter she had 13 points Aaliyah Edwards she only had four points but she was still playing really well I just feel like there wasn't the space on the floor for Aubrey Griffin so her only playing one minute in the third quarter feels more like just the way other people were playing than anything to do with her. But in the fourth quarter, she only played five minutes too. And UConn had that, I think UConn was up 29 at the end of the third quarter. So that game was long decided. The fourth quarter meant absolutely nothing. I honestly don't remember a single thing that happened in that quarter. Cause I was writing my story for, for the end of the game. Like why not use that entire quarter to give her more minutes? I mean, Taylor Poffenbarger played two minutes in the fourth quarter. Mir McLean played four. Like, how is Aubrey Griffin just only slightly getting above those type of players? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me either, especially because when she's on the floor, it feels like she's earning the, the opportunity to stay on the floor. It's not like she's coming in and not making a big impact. She comes in and she instantly makes an impact off the bench and she's incredibly efficient in those minutes. Like you said, I think especially versus high points, I mean, nine points and seven rebounds, that's close to a double-double in like 13 minutes on the floor. It's insane. So I'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen more from her time-wise. Yeah, that I think will remain a mystery. I feel like it's going to be one of those things where she like only plays – 10 to 12 minutes every single game throughout the tournament and just like averages nine points per game and we're left wondering the whole time. And then we get to the national championship game and she plays like 35 and has like a double double with 25 points and 10 rebounds and five steals to go with it or something like that. I, I feel very strongly that there's just going to be some explosion from Aubrey Griffin at some point. And the further we go on, the more convinced I'm going to be that it's going to be in the national championship game, or it's going to at least be a game where she single-handedly wins the game for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of, like, when you look back at Aubrey Griffin's freshman year, a lot of times when she came in, it was because they needed something off the bench, and then she would have these explosive games where she she just got the win for UConn, and it's usually when they're struggling, so I'm sure it's coming, right? Like, they had an easy time in these first couple games, but there's going to be games coming down the stretch where they're going to struggle, and if she can, you know, come in off the bench and start putting out nine points and stuff like that, they're going to have to leave her, and there's not going to be another option. I actually have a theory. Maybe see Aubrey Griffin playing so well in these games, and they're like, no, 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 no. We, we can't have her go off in these games <laughs> that mean nothing where we're going to win a lot. So it's kind of like it's almost like they're keeping her superpowers like in check. Like, okay, we can't release them yet. They're just keeping her like all bottled up, knowing that once they take the cap off, they release her. It's like the, the world's just not going to be able to contain it. Like it's just going to be too much for the other team. It's going to be so overwhelming and that's going to help them get through. So maybe, maybe it'll be the Baylor game. I'll just make that prediction. Now she's going to go off against Baylor because that seems like a fitting game for her to do so. Yeah. It feels like the, exactly the kind of game that Aubrey Griffin's going to impact because I think, I mean, 
as well as Olivia Nelson Dota and Olivia Edwards have been playing, they're going to have their work cut out for them in the front court in that game. So Aubrey Griffin is just another player that can kind of step up in that front court. So it feels like kind of the perfect perfect opportunity um, for her to step in. And honestly, I think that could be kind of the most challenging game of the tournament. Like if they win the national championship, I could see that elite eight game versus Baylor being the hardest one to win. So I feel like we kind of glossed over Olivia Nelson, Adota and Aliyah Edwards performances. And I want to come back to them because both of those players, I think have been fantastic. These first two NCAA tournament games. I think you really, I don't think you can separate their performances from Paige Becker's in terms of who's been the best player through these first three games. Olivia Nelson Adota. I think we had some concerns going in on the pregame show where Olivia, where she doesn't necessarily do that great against teams with size. And I'm still a little wary just because so many of the points that she scored in that third quarter, she really wasn't contested. It was just, she got a pass after UConn broke down the zone and it was an easy layup or something like that. But she did also have to work for some moments too. She had to finish through contact. She went shot five, five, three throws. That's not nothing. So I think it was a very promising performance, even though I'm not ready to say she's going to dominate Baylor, but it's definitely another step in the right direction. And I think that's something that we've just seen from her all season long is for the most part, she's been taking more positive steps forward than backwards. And it definitely didn't feel like that her sophomore year. Sophomore year was almost always one step forward, two steps back. So I thought it was, it was just a great performance from her. And Paige Becker's also had a great quote where she said, Olivia is not a center. She's our point forward because she can score the ball. She can pass the ball. She can rebound. She can do it all. And she does do it all. She's such a crucial player on this team. And if they end up doing that, winning the national championship, I think there's a very good chance she wins most outstanding player just because they need her to play at a very high level to do that. So I think it's just a very encouraging start for her. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think she's been great. And I think, you know, even if she hadn't wasn't that contested in some of her shots and stuff last night, we've seen in other games where teams have size that she just kind of seems to become a non-factor and she's out on the perimeter and she's not in the paint and she just doesn't really play a good game. So I think even though, you know, she got some easy looks and stuff, I think that's a good sign, right? To see her just play a good game against a team that has some size inside and that she didn't become a non-factor automatically. I think that's really important. But as much as you said that, like, she could be the most outstanding player if UConn wins the national championship, I feel like the way Aaliyah Edwards is playing, she's also got a shot at that as well. I mean, I think she's just been fantastic. And, again, Syracuse had no answer for her, even with the 6-7 center. She got to the line. She had 12 free throw attempts last night and then was perfect from the floor. On top of that, just kind of another insanely good performance from her as well. That would be very hilarious if – all this season, it's been about Paige Beckers, like justifiably all about Paige Beckers this season. But then Aaliyah Edwards just comes in in the NCAA tournament and wins the Most Outstanding Player Award. Like, God, that would be something else. She she has been incredible. I mean, against Syracuse, she had 12 free throws. It seems like every single time she shot the ball, she got fouled. She had five shots the entire night and finished with 20 points. That is just ridiculous. Also had a double-double against High Point. It's just been a continuation she's been playing phenomenal since the last two three games of the regular season carried it through the big east tournament i think it's reached a point now where this is just something that you expect out of her i don't think 
you can look at the way she's performed over this time and expect anything less just because of how consistent she's been. And even when she's maybe not getting the high point total, she's still making a very big impact on the game. I think both those bigs are her and Nelson Adota, even when they're not scoring the ball, they're still doing a lot for the rest of the team, whether it's rebounding, passing. I mean, Aliyah Edwards had four, had tied for the team high with four assists. So they just have two really good, well-rounded players that can score a lot when UConn needs them to, and then can also just function well in as a cog in the team when UConn doesn't need them to score a whole lot, or maybe it's a little bit tougher sledding for them to try and score like we might see against Baylor. So yeah, it's just Edwards in particular has been progressing so well these last few weeks, I guess over the last month that she's honestly, like she's probably been the third best player on the team over that time, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, she had four assists last night. She also assisted on a third of UConn's baskets when she was on the floor last night, which is pretty insane. Um, so for, especially for, you know, a forward. So really good at distributing the ball as well. And then, I mean, she's doing all this too in like 25 minutes a game. I think that's what makes it even more remarkable. Like you're looking at you know, 19 points, perfect shooting, all this. And she only spent 25 minutes on the court. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just like she's grabbing all these offensive rebounds and scoring that way, which that's not a bad way to do it. But UConn runs a lot of things to her. I mean, I think we saw that early in the game where she ended up scoring UConn's first six points because she was getting the ball down in the paint. And it's just impressive that she's doing it in these small samples or she's doing it in these limited minutes, I guess is the better way to put it it's happening in the flow of the offense too. It's not just, she's taking advantage of these opportunities that she's given. She's going out and pretty much making, making these baskets for herself and generating offense on her own, which is just as impressive too. Yeah, agreed. And I think in addition to like, obviously she's so good in the paint, but I think over the last couple of games too, we've seen her, you know, pull up at the free throw line and stuff in the flow of the offense as well and been able to knock those down. So she's also added some range to her game, which just makes her, I think, even more dangerous to other teams because they really have to guard her kind of in a lot of spots. Yeah, that's a good point. I think early in the year, she definitely could hit those shots. It wasn't necessarily a bad shot. Like I think she's better from the free throw line than Nelson Adota is from either the three-point line or just inside the three-point line, but that's definitely been something that's got a lot more consistent. It was like, oh, maybe this will go in earlier in the year now. I mean, it's a pretty knockdown shot for her. She's really found a good groove with that. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe we, I don't think we've necessarily seen her drive a whole lot, but I do remember during the preseason that she spoke about herself being a slasher, which is really something in her game that we haven't seen. So maybe she starts getting more opportunities with the ball in her hands out by the free throw line out just inside the three point line and can get defenders out bigger, slower defenders out, get them off balance a little, and then just drive by them for points. And (laughs) I mean, if Aaliyah Edwards is going to the basket, I really don't know who's going to step in front of her to draw a charge. I mean, even if she does draw a charge and get a foul, it's, almost like a give and take because you know, whoever steps in front of that is not staying in the game. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just, I think there's like so few players in the country that can guard her too. I think, I mean, in Baylor, I think Melissa Smith and Queen Agbo will have a shot at that, but I I think there's, you know, a a small collection of players that she's going to face in this tournament that are going to really be able to stop her at all. 
Right. Well, and it's also not just that you have to stop Aaliyah Edwards. You also have to stop Olivia Nelson Adota. So it's not like you can just throw all your bigs at one of one and then defend the rest with guards because you have two very big bodies and two, I we've harped on this a lot, but two very different type of players. What works on Aaliyah Edwards to slow her down isn't necessarily going to work on Olivia Nelson Adota and vice versa. So the fact that they play so well together and can be on the court together, whereas, I mean, I think of Azure Stevens and Fisa Collier didn't really fit on the court super well together. Natalie Butler wasn't a great fit for UConn's offense. These two are just a very good combination. And yeah, I think it's not just that not many people have the players to guard Edwards, even if they do have the players to guard them, how many teams have the ability to guard both of them? It's much, much fewer. And I still think Baylor is probably on that list, but it might be just Baylor. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would say too. It, it probably is just Baylor that has the, the size and size to guard both of them. Maybe South Carolina a little bit, but uh, Baylor kind of feels like it's in its own category there. How does Baylor just always have gigantic players? I don't know what it is. It must be something about multi <laughs> recruits because yeah, they always have the size, like always, always, always. Like it, I don't know if it started with Brittany Griner or if they had bigs before then because I was a little before my time. But Brittany Griner, and then more recently Lauren Cox. I'm missing the big one. Kalani Brown. There we go. I couldn't think of her name. Kalani Brown. Like the fact that they had Lauren Cox and Kalani Brown on the same team. Gee, I'm shocked they won the national championship that year. <laughs> that the last national championship it that was, was. wow that is ancient history you know what's really weird i was looking up stuff from the last ncaa tournament and nafisa collier and katie lou samuelson were on that team and i know it's like only two years ago but it feels like they haven't been on the team for decades <laughs> yeah <laughs> all the fun of the fact that time makes absolutely no sense anymore <laughs> Like, I don't even think it's, like, pandemic-related, though. Uh, actually, not. That's a lie. It probably is. Because there wasn't, like, an NCAA tournament to look back on last year. But it just feels so long ago that they had those two on the team. I guess it's probably because they've had such turnover, I guess. I mean, the team last year was so drastically different than that 2019 team because, obviously, you had Samuelson and Collier there. And then this year's team is so dramatically different than last year's team because you lost more or less every single player on that team besides the two juniors and the two sophomores this year. So it's just amazing how much change there's been over these last three seasons. I wrote about it a little bit, just how different things are from their last NCAA tournament. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it does seem like a long time ago. And part of that is the pandemic. But like you said, there's also just been so many changes since that tournament. Well, because UConn got to the Sweet 16, Gino Ariama can finally return to the team. He officially got back, or not even got back, got there on Wednesday. We don't know what time the team posted a video around, I think it was like 5 o'clock. Team gave him a big welcome, immediately went for the hair. I think that was the biggest thing that I took from the video is the moment they see him, they go for the hair, and he had a great quote where he said wow this must be the most boring place on earth and then I think he said something along the lines of if this is what gets you excited (laughs) so I don't really think he missed out on much by not having to be in the bubble for that amount of time but it's just good to have him back it'll be good to see him back on the sideline once we get to Saturday 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think UConn obviously handled these two games with Chris Daly quite easily, but it's definitely good to have him back for the regionals and to have him back on the sideline. I mean, there's there's a reason UConn has won so many championships, and Gino Ariano is a huge part of that. So good for him to be down there and ready to go for the Sweet 16. So I think we've waited long enough. <laughs> it's time. Let's break down Monica Cezanneno's game. So... Iowa center, number 25. She's averaging 19.4 points per game is 11th in the country with a 66.9% field goal percentage. Pretty impressive. Hasn't taken a three pointer this year, but she is strong rebounder overall, just a very strong player. She's seventh in the country in 1.19 points per game. So I mean, just when you look at the matchup with Iowa, I think she's really just the first one that comes to mind that UConn's going to have to deal with, right? <laughs> I mean, all kinds of that, though, I, people make Iowa out so much to be the Caitlin Clark show, and it, I think it's really the Clark and Susano show. I think that's a big key for UConn going in this game. Like, like all the hype is around Caitlin Clark, but she's not doing it alone in – Cesaro is averaging 19.4 points a game. So, yes, Clark scores 27, but they've got someone else scoring 22. And Cesaro is very much as capable as Clark of going off for 30-plus in a game. So, I think um, as much as obviously we're going to talk about this Caitlin Clark and Paige Becker's matchup and all of that, Cesaro is actually a big piece of this game as well. That's not getting the attention elsewhere. Right. And just to belay this point, and keep this bit going even further. But I feel like she is another good test for UConn's front court where she's a talented big and she's going to be, she's probably better than Cardoso. And it's going to be just another opportunity for Nelson Adota and Edwards to prove that they're at this level and can compete with pretty solid bigs and don't just beat up on little teams. So just it feels like so far to this point in the tournament, maybe besides high point, but I mean it's the 16 game, so you can't do much about that. But it feels like UConn's getting some pretty good experience, and the bracket is falling in a good way for UConn to prepare them for games down the line. Yeah, I would agree with that. They get another post test here, which I think is like we said, so much of a big piece about getting them ready for these later games. Is can they? I think we've seen all season long, right, that the guards are good and the guard even got one of, if not the best backcourt in the country. I don't have any doubt in my mind about that. So getting the 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 front court these tougher matchups earlier on, I think it's good in that you know UConn's fate in the tournament isn't necessarily resting on how they match up with those uh, front court players, but they're getting those tests and have to perform early on to get ready for those other games. Right. So it's just, it's the matchup that we all wanted when we saw the bracket came out. It's the matchup the NCAA wanted, because again, there's no way Iowa just accidentally ended up in UConn's bracket. And I think it's great that they ended up in UConn's bracket and it's great that they got here by absolutely killing Kentucky. It wasn't even a very close game. So obviously we'll get to see two of the best freshmen in the country on the floor. Paige Beckers and Ali Edwards. Also, Caitlin Clark has been very good this season. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. No, Caitlin Clark. Like, come on, three freshmen, you can't leave Edwards out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Someone the other day on Twitter said that I'm shady. And I just have absolutely no idea how they came to that. <laughs> that conclusion. Shout out Katie Barnes. It was her. But yeah, Caitlin Clark, obviously. The if she if Paige Beckers 
Well, Paige Beckers is the best freshman in the country, but at the very least, Caitlin Clark is the one B to Beckers one A. She's easily the second best player freshman in the country, even maybe the second best player in the country. So what can you say about her? Yeah, I mean, she just, I think the biggest thing for her is her offense is her range of her shots is just insane. I mean, she pulls up from like the logo sometimes and it goes in. Like she can really shoot from anywhere on the floor. I think she's going to be a huge test for UConn's defense. Obviously averages 20 or close to 27 points a game has gone off for 30 a lot of times this season. I don't have the number in front of me now, but it's a lot. Um, She put up 35 on Kentucky, which is a good team. She really just can kind of create her own offense too. She creates her own shots, but then also gets the rest of the team involved as well. I mean, she's also third in the country first as per so what she does on the offensive end is is really, really impressive, especially as a freshman. And she, you know, Iowa's offense, which is one of the best offenses in the country. They score the second most points per game in the country, but it it, it all runs through her. Right. And I think the big thing with the Beckers Clark debate that probably gets left out or maybe it doesn't, I don't know, is that Paige doesn't have to do it all for you guys. She, there were times she did earlier in the season, but I think at this point in the season, UConn has a pretty balanced team with the way Nelson Adota and Edwards are playing with Nika Mule. She can get healthy, her contributions, Kristen Williams, when she's on, which has been a little bit hit or miss recently. There's a lot of different options for you kind of go to Clark. Obviously there's Susano there, but it is really the Caitlin Clark show. She does more or less everything for this team. She passes rebounds, dishes out assists. She's a, I don't think anyone denies that she's just an unbelievable player. And especially cause she's a freshman and something I didn't actually realize. I just, the other day wanted to look up like what her recruiting profile said on ESPN I, I didn't realize that she was the number four recruit in the country. I don't, I just didn't recognize it from having looked at the recruit list so much. So I thought she came out of nowhere a little bit more where she was maybe like a 20 to 25, 30 player recruit. So she is one of the top players in the country. And I think we've kind of seen over the years that unless there's a clear number one, or if there is a clear number one, everyone behind that is a little more subjective and it kind of depends where they land and where they fit. So I was just kind of surprised that she was ranked as highly as she did coming out of high school. And she's from Iowa, right? That's why she ended up there. Cause otherwise it would make no sense why anyone would ever willingly go to Iowa. Yeah, I think she is from Iowa, so that's kind of why she landed there. But yeah, she was the number four recruit. I feel like that's kind of something that gets lost in the storyline, right? I feel like, I don't know, for some reason, it feels like the way she's been talked about it, you expect her to be lower. I don't know, there wasn't really that much hype, I feel like, coming into the season about her. We heard so much about, like, Cameron Brink at Stanford and uh, Haley Von Leith at at, uh, Louisville coming into the season and really nothing about, about Caitlin Clark. But obviously, she's clearly proven to be, you know, the second best freshman in the country all season long here. So how do you think UConn's going to attack her defensively? I know that sounds a little counterintuitive, but I feel like you can't just come with a normal game plan against her because of her ability to pass the ball. I mean, I think we've seen how phenomenal of a distributor that Paige is. I feel like Clark is just as good. She's probably a little more flashy, I would say. I mean, I don't think I don't think we've seen Paige do a behind-the-back pass like Clark had, but how, how do you think UConn's going to come at her? And is it going to be just Kristen Williams? Are they going to use a combo? Is it going to be something else? What do you think happens? 
Yeah, I, I think Kristen Williams gets most of it, but I do think that if Nika's in, I think we'll see a fair amount of Nika guarding her as well, assuming she's healthy. Um, I think the, the two of them I could see really being kind of focused on her. I think the key is just not giving her a lot of space. I think that's what really hurt Kentucky is I thought they gave her way too much space. They didn't really try to run her off the three-point line. You can't just let her sit there and shoot three. She shoots I think, yeah, 40% from three on over nine attempts per game. That's pretty insane. You can't let her have a clean looks from three-point line or from deep or kind of make her own shots. You've got to be up in her face, and I, I don't think Kentucky did a good job of that, and I think if UConn can get in her face and not give her space, they're going to be more successful with kind of not shutting her down because I don't think you're going to shut her down by limiting what she does. So if you had the option – you could completely shut down one phase of her game. Would you completely shut down her scoring or do you completely shut down her passing ability? I feel like her scoring because as much as she can pass the ball, like I, there's not enough other weapons on Iowa that are going to hurt you. I think if, if she's not scoring the ball. So if she doesn't score, I don't, you kind of could win this by 45, 50 points, I think. So I would shut down her scoring. <laughs> I feel like you could still win this game by 45, 50 points, oh, even yeah. if she does score a lot, because Iowa just doesn't have a defense. It's not that they have a bad defense. Their defense more or less does not exist. It exists in the way that high points rebounding ability exists. Like, <laughs> sure, maybe there's something there, but there's really not anything there. Yeah, for as good as they are in offense, right? Second in the country for points per game, they're equally as terrible at defense because they are – second to last in the country for points allowed per game they allow they score 86.6 but they also allow 79.9 so and I just like they're not gonna have any answer I don't think for you cut on the defensive end and uh, so yeah while Caitlin Clark could score 50 points Paige Becker could easily go off for 30 and then um Olivia Edwards and <laughs> Olivia Nelson Dota can have a field day in the paint as well so I, I think UConn's gonna really have no problem with this matchup i honestly like respect their commitment to the bit like if you're gonna be that good offensively and like you're not gonna have a good defense might as well just have a god-awful defense <laughs> to keep people entertained like don't have a good offense and like a mediocre defense because like at least if you know that your defense isn't gonna do anything for you you at least have more pressure on the offensive end whereas if you're pretending like your defense could maybe get a stop when the entire world knows they actually can't, you're going to bank on that too hard. You're going to fall on the offensive end. So like, yeah, might as well just have the worst defense if you're going to have the best offense. Like it honestly, that feels like a better game plan than having just somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I would agree. I would say I'm also interested to see how their offense outside of Clark holds up against UConn because I think the Big Ten has not been a particularly good defensive league this season. And Iowa has lost, you know, they, they played Indiana and Northwestern, the two best defensive game teams in the Big Ten, which are still a step below for sure UConn's defense. And they lost both of those games um, by, I think, quite a few points for the Indiana ones, especially. So I'm interested to see kind of you know, we've talked so much about how good UConn's defense has got, how little or how few points they can hold this Iowa team to. Can they really, you know, make life hard for Caitlin Clark and then kind of limit her dis distribution too? And if you can limit Clark and Cesano, this team's going to have a really hard time scoring against you. So I, th I think that's going to be interesting to see. For as good as UConn's 
defense has been since that Arkansas game. I feel like they still haven't gotten a very good test yet. And I know South Carolina was ranked high offensively, but like, I really don't feel like defense was what did that to South Carolina. I think both teams just played poorly offensively more than anything the defenses did. So this is probably going to be one of the better tests that UConn has defensively this season, which just I'm excited to see because same with Kristen Williams. Kristen Williams has been very good as a shutdown defender against good players. Now she's facing one of the best in the country in Caitlin Clark. How much different does that look for her? Can she handle her? And like, this is a game where I think Kristen Williams could actually put herself in the conversation as one of the best defensive players in the country, which is mind boggling to think about. But if she comes in and has even just a good game against Clark, maybe holds Clark to let's say 15 points. I still think that's a big win for Williams. As long as Clark doesn't go off for, I guess 15 points is an arbitrary place to draw the line in the sand, but if she can just keep Clark in check, that's a huge win. And like you said, UConn is going to win by 45, 50. Yeah. I mean, if she can hold it to 15 points, Kayla Clark has been held to less than 15 points twice this season. That's it. She scores over 20 points pretty much every game over 30 and quite a few. So if Kristen Williams holds her the 15 points, she absolutely should be a conversation for one of the best defensive players in the country because no one else this season that has played Clark has been able to do that. Um, and Clark is clearly one of the best offensive players, if not the best offensive player in the country. So I think I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup to keep an eye on. Um, I don't necessarily think like UConn's in trouble if they don't hold her to 15. I think she could go off for 25-30 and UConn's still going to win this game. But I, I think you'll we'll get a really good sense of just how good this UConn defense has gotten by how many points they're able to limit Iowa to. They haven't played anyone. I think this, the caliber of clark either i think like Aaliyah boston obviously a first team all-american i don't think actually have we talked about Paige beckers being an all-american oh we haven't we need to talk about that. <laughs> okay. well, well we'll discuss that later but Aaliyah boston a first team all-american caitlin clark was a second team all-american obviously very very different players so whereas Aaliyah boston was a test for uconn's front court the backcourt i don't think at all this season has been test well <laughs> Chelsea Dungy. But since that Arkansas game in particular, they haven't been tested. And I mean, there have been good players in the Big East. The Big East has some good players, but I still think they're not just a step below, but two steps below, three steps below some of those top, top players in the country like Clark. So I'm just very interested to see how UConn plans to defend her if they kind of concede anything to her if they double her a lot and just make everyone else on Iowa beat them, which I think is a possibility. I mean, even though you have Caitlin Clark's passing ability, I wouldn't be surprised if they just with how well UConn's communicating defensively, if they just said, okay, well go make someone else win the game, because I don't think that's going to work out super well for Iowa, even if they do get some easy layups here and there. So yeah, honestly, this is of all the games UConn's played this season, even more so than Baylor. I feel like, is the most interesting chess match in terms of X's and O's, because I think Baylor just comes down to if Edwards and Nelson Adota can hang in with with Baylor's bigs. Whereas like, I feel like this is a legitimate tactical matchup where UConn's going to have to draw something up to stop Clark. And it'll be just interesting to see how it unfolds. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, like you said, Baylor's, you know, can they hang inside? Whereas, you know, UConn's guards clearly, I think, have the advantage still in that game where here they've got one of the best players in the country and you've got to figure out how to stop her. And it's not something that any team has really been able to figure out this season. So I think it's going to be a really fun matchup to watch and see how, how they handle that. Like you said, I think I could see them doubling her a lot because I wouldn't be too confident that anyone other than Susano is going to make you pay for that with this Iowa team. So that's one way to handle it. I also could see, you know, really investing in Kristen Williams, kind of locking her down and then, you know, some help defense from Nika when she has the ball and things like that. But I'm I'm interested to see how it goes and what happens with that. Yeah, it's going to be just fascinating to watch. So that is a 1 p.m. tip on Saturday on ABC. Got some national television for Caitlin Clark, Paige Becker's round one. I wonder how many matchups rounds of that we're going to get. It was actually kind of funny when that got announced earlier today, today being Wednesday, half the people that saw that were like, Oh great. This is going to be on national television. And the other half was like, why isn't this on prime time? Like, what are you doing to just show that you can never please anyone? Sorry. I was just going to say, I feel like I'd rather have it on ABC than have it on prime time. Like it's just such a bigger audience to have it on main national. Also just personally, I don't like these late games. <laughs> I don't like, want right press conference doesn't even start till like 11 30 so it's just it's very late it's not it's not great i also just feel like a lot of yukon fans don't love a 9 p.m tip either even an 8 p.m tip like that's late even like when i'm watching like men's games that are that late i get tired like it's just too late to be playing these games so 1 p.m is going to be a nice change of pace especially on abc I honestly hope, I don't know if it's been announced yet, but I hope that Beth Mowens and Renee Montgomery stay on the broadcast. I've absolutely loved having Renee do the analysis because she's, I mean, she's just incredible. She's incredible in everything she does. So it's not a surprise that she is great at what she does as an analyst, but I feel like she just brings such a different energy and is just so much different as an analyst than kind of, I guess, a cookie cutter person. So She's been fun, and I hope that continues. I agree. I think she's been great. Every game that I've watched that she's called, I love her commentary. So I, I really hope that they'll have her on for that as well. Though I wonder if they'll have go to their kind of default women's basketball broadcast views as we're cutting down to games of like a Re- Rebecca Lobo, Ryan Rico um, combination as well. I could see that being the case too, which they're also always great. So Right. I was going to say like – I, I would still probably bet on it being Rebecca Lobo, which obviously not a bad thing. That's probably the only bad thing about UConn being back in the Big East is that you're off ESPN. And really, Rebecca Lobo isn't going to do a whole lot of UConn games going forward, where at least in the past, she was almost guaranteed to do every single big one. But now it's pretty much going to be only the games where they play on the road against top opponents. So I think Baylor, South Carolina, Notre Dame... Anyone in the SEC, ACC, or Big 12 is going to be a Rebecca Lobo game. So it's going to be a lot less. And I think she did talk about on her podcast. My mom's a big fan of her podcast. Apparently she's disappointed that she's doing less too. But yeah, ESPN is usually pretty good at putting on a good women's basketball broadcast, especially from what we had seen earlier from other stations. So it would be nice to have a Rebecca Lobo game too, especially to have her breaking down 
Can we get like Ryan Rucco, Rebecca Lobo, and Renee Montgomery? Is that too much to ask? Because I really want to hear Renee Montgomery's thoughts on Caitlin Clark, like while things are happening. Me too. I at least hope that if they don't have her on the broadcast, that they have her in studio or something so that we get her thoughts at halftime. Uh, I think Ryan and uh, Rebecca have been in studio quite a bit. So hopefully I'll make that switch if, if it is them who are calling the game. Yeah. So obviously UConn needs to win first to advance to the Elite Eight, and so does Baylor. But since we're not going to be able to podcast before then, we're just going to preview Baylor for a bit. But first, we're going to go probably way more in-depth into Baylor, assuming that's the matchup that happens in the Elite Eight, assuming UConn's still playing on the Chasing Perfection pregame show, which we mentioned earlier. But you can watch that on the Store Central YouTube page, which we'll link to in the show description and the show article on our Twitter pages. We're also going to try and get it on the UConn blog Facebook page. No guarantees with that, just because it's a little bit trickier. But we're going to try. So the UConn blog Facebook page, which we'll also link to. So before we talk about Baylor, we're just going to go into a quick ad break. And then we'll be back to talk not only Baylor, but also Paige Becker's being named an All-American and UConn's newest commitment. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Assuming the higher seed wins both games, I don't think UConn's going to have much trouble with Iowa. I don't have as great of a feel of what Baylor, Michigan might be, but Baylor's playing very well. So it seems likely that they're going to get into the Elite Eight. That feels like the Elite Eight matchup. So assuming it, that is it, we'll finally get that matchup that we thought we were going to get in January until Kim Mulkey decided she needed to have family over for Christmas and tested positive for COVID. I know I said that Caitlin Clark and Iowa might be the most exciting tactical matchup, but just in terms of two pure heavyweights and strength against strength, I feel like Baylor is going to be the most exciting matchup of the year. Yeah. I think there's not many teams in the country. First of all, they're playing as well as Baylor is right now. I think ESPN like reseeded the tournament this week and said that Baylor should be a one. And I would agree with that. They just, they're playing at a different level, I think than all the other two seats in the field right now. And they just have that size like they always do, especially with Melissa Smith, who's another National Player of the Year candidate, really, really solid player for them. It was actually a huge part of kind of them winning that national championship when Lauren Cox went out with the injury two years ago, and she really stepped it up in that national championship game and is now kind of the the leader in the front court for this team and their best player averages 18 points and nine rebounds a game. She's insanely efficient from the floor as well, so... That's going to be a tough matchup for uh, Olivia Nelson-Odota and Olivia Edwards, but then they also have Queen Egbo in the post as well, who's another tough matchup there. But So that's, I think, for sure going to be to be the, the kind of the highlight of this one, right, is going to be that post battle, no surprise, as it always is with Baylor. Queen Egbo's got to be one of the best names in college <laughs> basketball. I, I don't even know, like, what would come co- close to that. And especially, like, you can't name – your daughter queen if your last name is like johnson you just can't have queen johnson like or queen smith or queen brown like it just doesn't work but queen egbo 
that is just such a great name. Like I, I love it. I, I want that matchup just to hear that name a million times. <laughs> the only one I can think of that comes close, and I'm forgetting what team she plays for, but there's a, a player named Lightning McQueen as well, who is that's also a pretty elite name. Um, Wait, isn't that the name of the car in Cars? Yeah, so maybe her last name is not McQueen. <laughs> that's <it's> something <laughs> else. Uh, what's her name? <laughs> there's Lamont Lightning. <laughs> and Goldie Beacom Lightning. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm messing it up then. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's Loyal McQueen. Loyal McQueen, I think. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty good one. What you should play for. That's a good one. Uh, uh, oh, Georgia. Loyal McQueen. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a great name. <laughs> I wonder if her sip, if she's related to Lightning. <laughs> yeah, maybe she's, she's related to the best car <laughs> you know it's super weird when colleges just can't have a normal url for their websites like <laughs> yukon is yukonhuskies.com that's fine some of them are like i don't know go bulldogs like okay that one makes sense georgia techs is ramblin wreck what <laughs> that is just terrible seo that doesn't make any sense yeah. what are you doing there how would you There's... it probably takes forever to find their website <laughs> i just googled loyal mcqueen and like the first thing was like her roster page but it was like rambling wreck like that sounds like an sb nation page yeah <laughs> there's someone else who has something really oh it's arizona men's basketball's twitter drives me insane they're like at handle is a player's program instead of just arizona men's basketball i every single time i see that it makes me irrationally angry if you can't tell from listening to this podcast, I get irrationally angry about a lot of things. <laughs> but, okay, that, that's a good one. I feel like in the offseason, we need to have a best name in college basketball. Um, shout out Jen Hatfield from Her Hoops Dads. Go look it up. She writes an article every year that has all the best names in college basketball. So. Oh, okay, no, we'll just plug her then if she's already doing the, the legwork on that one, yeah. I feel like Sailor Poffenbarger is definitely one of the better names that UConn's had in a little while. That's a pretty strong name. Yeah, it is. It is. Like I, just I'd be surprised to see that one make the article next week, next year. Like Sailor is just like it, that's like just a very cool name. I I don't have any way other way to put it. I remember when she committed, just looking at it for like five minutes. Fun fact about when she committed, I was in the middle of Provincetown, Massachusetts on vacation. We took a trip up there for the day when she committed. So I was just in Provincetown looking at someone whose name was Sailor Poffenbarger. It was sensory overload that day, but back when we could go places, remember that was fun. But I think you said this last week in our NCAA tournament predictions, but it does really feel like if UConn beats Baylor, they're probably going to win the national championship. It just doesn't feel like anyone else can really stop them at that point. If they're playing well enough to be, to be able to beat Baylor. Yeah. I would even go as far to say as whoever wins that game probably wins the national championship. I, I, I really think that this is kind of like the matchup that's going to be, uh, you know, who wins it all. So you're not that high on Stanford then? I'm high on them, but I feel like, they falter more where Baylor just comes out and dominates like kind of like UConn does every game. 
Okay, so like Stanford maybe has the highest ceiling, but they very rarely stay at that. Exactly, where I think UConn and Baylor are two teams that just kind of play at that ceiling consistently. Also, I honestly have to get this take off my chest, but playing Stanford in a national championship game doesn't scare me at all. Tara Vanderveer? No, it's Tara. Oh, God, here we go again. (laughs) Tara Vanderveer hasn't won a national championship in over 30 years. For as good as Stanford has consistently been, it really doesn't feel like they've had much postseason success. No, I mean, they've gotten to the final four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 times, which obviously is not bad by any means. And they haven't been to the final four since 2017. That's actually longer than I would have guessed. They should have won the national championship that that year. 2017 was when Carly Samuelson was still on Stanford. And if Stanford and UConn both lost in the final four, but had they both won we would have seen the sisters play in the national championship. Right. Well, now it's because Carly hurt her foot or broke her foot or twisted her ankle or something. And if she doesn't do that, Stanford runs away with that national championship. So, but still UConn played them in 2010. That was the game where the last, well, before this year's tournament, the last game UConn had played in the Alamo dome where they had 12 points at halftime. That is just honestly remarkable. 12 points at halftime. And yet they still won the national championship. So to wrap up with some news, Paige Becker is named a first team AP All-American, just the third freshman ever joining Maya Moore and Courtney Paris. She only received 28 out of the 31st place votes. Like, look, okay. You can vote Caitlin Clark to be the player of the year, the freshman of the year, or say she's better or whatever, but like you can't make an argument that Paige Beckers doesn't deserve to be a first team all American. You just can't. She's been unbelievable all season long. And it's the same voters who voted on the AP top 25 all season long. It, I thought that was really weird. I don't know if they released the voters for that, but I just thought it was very, very bizarre that she only got 28 of 30. Yeah. I didn't see the voters released, but agreed. I just don't understand like how you could possibly think that she wasn't one of the five best players in the country. I, I, just, I don't understand. I feel like it was someone that was too caught up in like this whole debate that like Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers cannot be great, both be great because that seems to be a trend on Twitter. But yeah, there's, there's no way she wasn't one of the top five players in the country. I did really enjoy though, the way that UConn Twitter when I think someone mentioned it on the broadcast. I don't remember who that, uh, you don't need to argue who's better, who's worse. You can, they could both be great players and UConn tweet Twitter just immediately jumped on that and said, no, you have to decide who's better in its page. So that was very enjoyable to follow along with after the game. Stupid thing to say, like it's like the entire, like thing the sports is figuring out who's better. Why are we not going to argue about who's better? Like, I think that's what we do with all sports. Why wouldn't we do it here? Right. Well, like, people are always like, oh, well, we, we need more debate in the women's basketball world. And then here a great debate comes along and people are like, no, not like that. Yeah, exactly. I feel like some of the not like that comes from the people on Twitter that can't seem to speak about one without disparaging the other. But yeah, I think in general, most of the commentary is positive and just deciding who's, who's the better. So. Right. And just for the record, the correct answer is that page backers is oh. better. 
Also, with her getting 28, even with her getting 28 of the 31st place votes to be on the first team, I feel like that's a very good sign for her probably winning AP Player of the Year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I think she kind of very clearly was the the favorite to be on the first team, and it just seems like there was a little bit of debate over who else was on that first team. So I think I agree. I would be surprised if she doesn't take home AP Player of the Year. Which would make her the first, first freshman ever to do so. Something I learned recently Apparently, freshmen aren't allowed to win the Wade Trophy, which is the WBCA National Player of the Year award, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, correct. Which is wild. Yeah. First, that also, seems so very cool. arbitrary. Why? They're the best player. Right. Best player in the country. What does it matter if it's a freshman or a senior? I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. But, anyways. To wrap up, UConn got a new commitment this past week. Ayanna Patterson, the number three player in the class of 2022. UConn's second player in that class, along with Azuna Brady. I don't know about you, but like I absolutely did not expect her to pick UConn. I don't know why. I just, it didn't seem like it was going to go UConn's way. I thought it was going to be like UCLA or something. So watching her Instagram live, I was very surprised when she picked UConn. But Obviously, number three player in the class, you're always going to hear good things. But I think instead of hearing good things, just to see something incredible, she two-handed dunked. Like, you don't see that from many women's basketball players. And she did it with ease, too. So apparently she is a super athletic wing that I think she's 6'2", if I'm not mistaken. So it seems like UConn's really been going after and getting those types of players, just the super athletic wings with Aubrey Griffin, Mir McLean, I guess Aaliyah Edwards to a certain degree, and now Ayanna Patterson. So another exciting pickup that kind of falls into the category of even if they don't have Paige Beckers and AZ Fudd, they're still pretty loaded. Exactly. Yeah. I think we harped on that enough earlier, but yeah, just they just keep getting richer in the recruiting department. So it's gonna be a fun few years to come for sure. So just to kind of look at the class of 2022 a little bit. They have two scholarships remaining. I just, I don't have any info on this, but I would just guess that this could be the entire class. Maybe they'll add one other person, but I don't think a two-person class is that strange for UConn. We saw it with this year's sophomore class, or not this year's, yeah, this year's sophomore class, Aubrey Griffin and Anna Makarat, obviously Olivia Nelson-Adota and Kristen Williams. Kia Nurse and Gabby Williams ended up as a two-player class. Katie Lucy Samuelson and Gab, uh, not Gabby Williams, Nafisa Collier. Gino said before that he does like those two-player classes, especially if they're two really good players because they seem to kind of make each other better. And just, it's just a very nice dynamic. Like, I think he's his exact words, this was a couple of years ago, but he said that that they hunt in pairs or something, so... If the class of 2022 only ends up being Azuna Brady and Ayanna Patterson, that's still an incredibly good class, considering the four classes that they've had before that. Yeah, exactly. I think they're still going to be plenty loaded with those two players, considering everything else they've got. So I think even if they are done, nothing to be concerned about. They've had an excellent, another excellent recruiting year. Looking ahead, like not only is next year's roster just going to be unbelievably stacked, considering they're at least now going to bring back the exact same roster plus the freshman class, but it's 
not like it's going to be a drastic drop off in 2022, 23. I mean, losing Olivia Nelson, Adota, Vina Westbrook and Kristen Williams is going to hurt obviously. But by that point, the soft, the current freshman class is going to be juniors. The incoming recruiting class will be sophomores by that point. They're going to have page backers and AZ foot at their, in their prime. So it's just going to be, it's going to be fun for the next few years. Like we said, Book those hotel flight, those hotels and flights to the final four cities now because they're going. If Baylor doesn't knock them out and that final four streak lives on this year, it's going to live on for a long time after this. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think that it ends anytime in Paige or AZ's career. So we've got a good five years more after that. Good luck, rest of the country, because you will absolutely need it. That's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to tune in to the Chasing Perfection pregame show at 1230 on Saturday. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. And also subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly to get that in your email inbox every single Thursday. Read the UConn blog and store central for all the coverage you need of the NCAA tournament. Megan, send us out. We'll talk to you all on Saturday. That'll do it.